0: Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson, and with me, as always, is the incredible (laughs) Lucas Stock, not
1: sure about that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. We thank you for joining us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. So, Lucas, how you doing? What's new? What's going on? Oh, not much. Just
1: staying inside. Um, you have cabin cabin fever yet? Not really. I'm more of no. a, I, you know, it's given me lots of time to to play the new Animal Crossing that just came out. So um oh, my my I, time is occupied. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah
0: and I have been talking about wanting to get that, and uh we were we were saying like, depending on how much we get back for our tax return, like let's just buy it. But then we ended up having to owe money, so we're like, uh, oh no, oh, that man. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll still probably get it soon because I really want
1: to play. Like everybody's posting about it. It's, everybody's talking about it. It's super fun. But um but yeah, other than that, not a whole lot, just kind of chilling last night. Uh we ordered cheesecake from the cheesecake factory online for pickup. Mm. And then we had to wait for like an hour because the not because it was so busy that they like couldn't get to, you know, putting our cheesecake You know, in a package and giving it to us, but because it was the the least organized I've ever seen any like public place (laughs) that I've been a part of. Like they were kicking people out when there were more than 10 of us in the lobby saying they'd like come get us when our food is ready, but they never checked in our names or came out to, to like with a bag saying, you know, order for so and so. So I was just like, like trying to figure out, like, do I just go in? Do I, you know, eventually (laughs) I just went in and went up to the counter and was like, hey, just, you know, I paid online, just want to pick up. And they gave me a pager, like when you have to like put your Mm. name in for a table, you know, right. And then I had to wait another, like, I don't even know, like after that, I probably waited another 20 and it didn't even go off. I just went in again. And was just That's like, crazy. yeah, I just want to check on my order for, for you know, for Lucas, whatever. And they're like, oh, it's right here. Here you go. And it was just four slices of cheesecake. Like, it wasn't even <laughs> like we ordered dinner or anything. It was. Oh, my gosh. And I heard mess. people, people were talking like, oh, I've been here since, you know, so I got our food at like, probably like, it was after eight o'clock. It was, it was like probably 8.15 or, or so. Or maybe even, no, I think it was like 8.30 that I finally got it. And people had been there since like 6.45. Like, wow. wait, it was insane. So don't. Go or order online right now from the Cheesecake Factory in Natick because apparently you'll have to wait. You'll be waiting for hours. two hours for your
0: food. <laughs> well, maybe for those of you who haven't caught on quite yet, or if you're listening to this episode like three years from when we're recording it, uh, we're living in the midst of the coronavirus right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the <laughs> we're towards the end of March now and it's in full swing. Uh, you know, many people have the maybe good or bad fortune depending on how you see it of being quarantined at home uh i do not have such a pleasure um (laughs) though there are days i wish i was quarantined i I, i'm working at quick trip so it's a convenience store and at least right now in wisconsin we're considered essential personnel because Mm -hmm. we have gas we have food we have um you know bread milk scratch tickets, butter eggs yet your lottery (laughs) tickets when you gotta you know buy a five dollar scratch off um so it's been pretty crazy, and it's funny too because have you ever had um, the beer? It's only you can only get it in Wisconsin unless people are doing illicit things. But it's called Spotted Cow.
1: Have no. you ever heard of it or had it? No, I've never, I've never had the okay. pleasure of a Wisconsin well, beer trip.
0: <laughs> well, so it's it's uh, it's technically the the company I think is called Nugleris Brewing Company or something like that, but they make hmm. this beer called Spotted Cow um and in wisconsin it's a big deal and apparently outside of wisconsin too because people from minnesota illinois iowa like will come buy it take it home like all the time people at quick trip um so like a couple days ago we had a guy come in he's like i know that everything's kind of crazy right now but i really need to stock up on on spotted (laughs) cow do you guys have any more in the back and he bought literally a case of it not just like a six pack (laughs) um but it's kind of ironic too because So this New Glarus Brewing Company, they have Spotted Cow as a flavor. And then another flavor is called Cabin Fever. Oh wow! And so I feel like right now, like for people who are stocking up on beers, they should just get a bunch of Cabin Fever. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, I guess that's kind of what's going on right now. We're we're still living life um, amidst COVID-19. You know, we've had an episode about COVID-19 and some of our Mm -hmm. um, thoughts on it. And, you know, if this goes on much longer, maybe we'll have more thoughts to add. Um, but today, we are going to be talking about this idea of of unity, um, so unity uh, within the church, unity within the body of Christ, um, and uh, more specifically, I guess, unity uh, amongst our diversity as, as believers, and we know mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, there are many different denominations, many different theological perspectives, um, you know, even different translations of the Bible that people prefer. There are just so many things that seems like that in this day and age that divide us. So what does it look like to have unity amongst our diversity? So Lucas, if you want to take it over, we can kind of jump into this idea that we're going to be discussing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely, like you said, there's a lot of things that sort of push against unity in the church on small issues and bigger issues. Um, But Not only that, I think there's a lot of, um, I mean, I don't know, from my perspective. I think that unity might be something that we think we know, you know, what it means when we're using it, when we're saying, oh, we want the body of Christ to be unified. And and I mean, maybe we don't even think about it. I don't know. Um, But I think that it's important to get a good grasp on what unity is, and not not like, let's look it up in a dictionary, but when we're talking about the church, when we're talking about uh, believers in Christ being unified, having unity amongst diversity, like we're like what we're trying to talk about, um, I think it's important to sort of build a little bit of a foundation, um, because there are so many different theological perspectives, and there are entire groups of, of Christians who probably have never thought about unity as a theological concept and there are other churches that make it one of their defining features is 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 the you know the catholic nature of their particular group the the unified universal um aspect might be something that you focus on or don't focus on so because there's these different viewpoints and and this diversity i wanted to take some time to answer two basic questions about uh you know this idea of unity. So the the two questions are, what do we mean when we say unity in the context of the church? And what does this unity look like? Um, and I'm going to answer both of these questions kind of broadly, and then we'll move into some more concrete, practical, you know, real-life sort of discussion um, around living out that that unity. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is just at least generally, maybe not hashing this out in all its details, but what do we mean by unity? What does it mean um, for us to talk about the church having unity? Um, So the first thing that came to my mind was the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Um, We confess that there is one church, um, one holy Catholic apostolic church, so the church that the creeds talk about is one. There aren't churches that are holy and universal and apostolic or, you know, some churches that are holy and others that are universal or, or something like that. Um, but there is one church um, for us and, and that is comprised of, of us as members of Christ's body. And... Um, this isn't some sort of you know newfangled idea that came up later, but Paul speaks of the church as the one body of Christ. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the church... You know, the church is one body, the one body of Christ, um, that we are all made members of through baptism by the Holy Spirit. Um, It's important for Paul that, that, you know, the church is one because of the nature of the church as the body of Christ. There aren't, you know, many Christs. Christ can't have more than one body. He has many members that are all one body, as Paul says. Um, We are all we, meaning believers, Christians, are all united by faith into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church by God's grace. Um, and that is the one um, body of Christ, the one Son of God. Um, and a couple other things to, to sort of bring out from this is that this unity based on our one baptism into the one church transcends other um, characteristics or identifiers that we have. Um, classically you know Paul's quote in Galatians 3 28 there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free man there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus being made into one body we it's not that we you know literally cease to be Jew or Greek slave or free male or female but we rise above our differences I guess um, they, those differences no longer define us, and more importantly, they don't define the way that we relate to each other. That's because we are made in Christ a new creation. Um, Paul uses that language, and and what we're seeing is that w- the, the new creation that is made is this one body of Christ. Um, so that's a little bit of a, of a theological underpinning for what is it, you know, why would we confess there being one church? Why do we care about unity? Um, is because in reality, as members of the church, we are part of a unified body. And unity in, in this body, the church, doesn't mean uniformity. Um, you know, I, I think of different liturgical forms, different languages that services are held in, cultural distinctives like the way people dress or the way that We talk to each other, those things aren't going to magically be the same um, just because we are all going to church. Um, Some cultures typically have church on Sunday mornings and others on Sunday nights. Some, you know, uh, different traditions emphasize uh, different features of liturgy or use different liturgical rites. the liturgy isn't going to be exactly the same in a Russian Orthodox church and a Roman Catholic church, and there are lots of reasons for that, and there are lots of big differences between those churches, but um, what what we're not looking for is for those churches to become identical. We're looking for church to become unified, um, which we'll get into a little more in a little bit, but what's what's important is that the content of our faith, of the faith that we are part of is what provides our unity Um, and that doesn't like I said either it's not something we should strive for and it's also not something that magically happens that once we become part of the unified body of Christ we just turn into clones of each other that are complete identical robots or anything Um, and obviously that's where we get into having unity amongst diversity. Because there are these diverse backgrounds and features and and cultures and characteristics and and personalities, the unity that we have is all the more rich for it instead of just being uniformity, but it also leads to certain challenges that we want to address in this conversation. So that's sort of what we're trying to say when we say unity. We're talking about the... The reality, theologically, that we have been made one body in Christ, um, and that is extremely important um, because it serves as the basis for our identity as Christians, um, individually and corporately. It, what's What's important is that as individual members, we are given a corporate identity in the body of Christ, and that is a theological truth that is all over um, the New Testament, especially um, in those passages we looked at at Paul. So the next thing I want to get into is a little bit of, of what this unity looks like um, in broader terms. Um, not necessarily talking about specific, you know, case studies or specific you know issues or challenges, but what does it mean? So I believe that we're all unified as Christians, but what does that look like? Um, and I want to sort of base this section of the conversation around the idea that our unity as Christians is chiefly um, sacramental. Um, And I specifically avoided bringing this up in the sort of definition of unity earlier because um, the sacramental nature of the church is more than just a theological fact or a theological position. Um, It's deeply intimately, um, experiential, physically, spiritually, um, communally, individually. We experience baptism, the Lord's Supper, as both as individuals going through those rites and also as a community, administering and um, taking those things together. Um, and th- it's through these um, sacraments that we are constituted, as Paul says, being baptized into Christ. Um, and then nourished and nurtured as Christ's body, Um, there are, you know, like I said, many different church members who come from different backgrounds, they have different giftings, they offer different, you know, strengths and ministries to the church, they have different needs, we all come together in one body through baptism, as Paul said above in Corinthians, Um, and we in that experience are washed—these differences are washed and sanctified, and we're able to overcome them in the new reality that we live in as the Church. Um, And then, once we've been, you know, created as this new body, we're nourished and fed in the Lord's Supper as Christ is made present to us in the bread and wine. And in 1 Corinthians 11, a little bit before the passage I read above, Paul discusses some of the problems that the Corinthians were seeing in their worship— um, pretty significant, you know, passage for <laughs> um, for uh, theology of the Lord's Supper and, and, and church worship. But there were divisions in verse eighteen among the people at, at church, um, and the Lord's Supper, as a result, was distorted because some people were were eating and leaving others hungry. People were getting drunk. Paul even says, um, and Paul is identifying this problem that the sacramental meal of communion of the body coming together and being nurtured as one body was being replaced by divisions. Some people were eating their fill, others were being left hungry. Um, Instead of unity and love at at the Lord's table, we had division and greed. Um, The body was not celebrating together as a unified community. And so this obscured their unity and betrayed the sacramental reality that the Lord's Supper is supposed to witness to and facilitate. Um, Earlier still, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16-17, through Paul explains that communion, the Lord's Supper, is a participation in Christ, and um, he says that, Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Um, So the... The community of the church, the unity of the church, is Eucharistic. Um, the Eucharist signifies and uh, feeds and enables this unity. It, it is where um, Christ, like I said, is made present to us, and we are given the, um, the, the, the means of grace, the physical means of grace are given to us in a way that call us into this communion, this community that we have. Um, I'm going to quote from a book by Harper and Metzger called *Exploring Ecclesiology*. They say the Lord's Supper summons people from various demographics to sit down together, calling for the eradication of barriers of hostility between various groups within the church. And it it does this not just by being, um, you know, a symbol, but by being by by communicating that which it's symbolizing. Um, As Paul says, we're participating in Christ. And because there is one bread that we are participating in, we who are many are made one body through the partaking of that one bread. So to sort of wrap up my little, you know, spiel here, we, we, through scripture, we see that unity is a theological reality that God, by the Spirit, has made us all one in Christ. And this is experienced in the church, which is the community of faith, um, sacramentally, as we are united and grow together through the sacraments by the word of God in faith. Our differences are transcended, uh, not ultimately erased, but the what's erased is, as um, Harper and Metzger say, the barriers of hostility between us as different groups of people. Um, and because what is erased is not our actual difference, but just the hostility, the dividing wall between us, Um, This is where we start to see struggles as we are are faced with a tension of, you know, awaiting that final fulfillment when sin is done away with and our diversity isn't cause for conflict. Um, But we're ultimately not there yet. And so this is where, you know, the rubber hits the road a little bit more um, clearly and we start talking about what does it mean, um, you know, we're unified. This is that theological reality where we're united together. What does that mean, you know, for me and the fellow church member who just really grinds my gears? What does this mean when me and my friend who have different theological opinions get into a really heated argument about how to interpret a Bible passage or, you know, fill in the blank with an example? What, is, what does it mean to experience unity amongst our diversity in the here and now in real life, not just as a theological sort of idea. And that's where we want to go next. Um, so, so Jen's, if you, if you want to take it away, I think that, um, you're going to give us all the answers, right?
0: (laughs) Not all the answers, but (laughs) at least some, some answers I think, and maybe not even answers as, as much as still thoughts to ponder as we, um, you know, explore the implications of this. And I, I know I joked a little bit ago about, um, division amongst bible translations but i I am curious like which you use most or prefer or if you use a couple i don't know just that's something i always find interesting
1: yeah i def i my my go-to is the nasb it's pretty much the only one i use um in the past i've used the esv you know i went from niv to esv to nasb um and i don't tend to like compare multiple versions unless i'm actively studying something and wanting to see right. how different translations go so i've been using the nasb for probably a good three or four years now pretty exclusively Dang. yeah
0: the gold standard yeah <laughs> um yeah i it's funny because i think i started with an nlt like that's just like the, a bible that my parents gave me when i was young and then i had an niv for a while and then i had an ESV, and then that's That's basically what I use most often. Although when I was a youth pastor, um the CSB came out, so the Christian Standard Mm -hmm. Bible, and I liked in different areas some of the precision that it offered and like it was sometimes easier to understand, especially for students. Mm -hmm. So I would preach from the CSB, though I've almost always used ESV, I guess, for like my personal reading and everything, but I don't know. I was just curious. I always find it interesting, um, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it is also part of this conversation because from my perspective, if we're talking about like boots on the ground, we're talking about how this applies, what like what are the implications of having unity, especially amongst our diversity in the body of Christ. Um, from, from my perspective, it, it often seems like churches are, are far more divided than unified not just within like here is my church that i go to Mm -hmm. but what i mean is like churches that are like in a city churches that are in a state churches that are in a denomination or even like greater than that there often seems to be division uh, rather than like unification and i think there are probably a multitude of problems that lend to that being true but i think denominations as a whole um can be problematic you know there are people who Um, might be Southern Baptist, people who might be, um, you know, assemblies of God or non-denominational or whatever. And so like those things um, just become further dividing markers away from the reality of our unity. So instead of seeing ourselves as being unified in Christ, like maybe we see ourselves as like, well, I am a Southern Baptist, I am a Lutheran, I am an Anglican or whatever. Um, I mean, I know just in a really practical sense, like if you've ever had a conversation with somebody, you know, maybe at work, maybe on the train, um, you know, like when we lived in Chicago, Lucas, or, or something like that, where it comes up that you're a Christian, and then they're like, oh, like, you know, are you a Protestant or are you Catholic? Um, you know, what, what type of Christian are you? Like, are you a crazy Baptist? Are you, um, <laughs> you know, whatever, like people had their ideas about uh, certain types of Christians. And I think, before we go any further, I think it's helpful for me to just mention two of my um, like key texts in talking about unity. And so I have John 17 first, which is the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying. In um, and, and verses 20 through 23 specifically, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you have even loved me. So that's, that's Jesus again, praying for his people, praying for his sheep, praying for those whom he came to die. And um, praying to the father that we might be one as he himself is one with the father, Um, which, you know, we could have an entire episode just on those three or four verses of John 17 about what that means that Jesus is praying that we would be one like him and the father are one. So maybe you have to kind of think for a moment, like what does it mean that Jesus and the father are one? Like what sort of unity does the Trinity have? And if you've ever thought, you know, even for just a second about like our, Um, our logo for our podcast, you know, it's, it's the, the image of the Trinity. It's like the, the traditional logo that represents the triune God. Um, and I mean, the reason we liked that imagery is because, um, it's sort of like foundational to who we are as not just believers, but as you know, for me and Lucas coming from different theological traditions, different backgrounds, we have some things that make us diverse yet we still have our unity and the things that unite us. And so that image of the Trinity, you know, God himself being united, he is, it's one God that we worship who is expressed in three persons. You know, that's one of the ways that the Trinity has been described. And so even amongst himself, he has a unity, though diverse too, because the father is not the son and the son is not the spirit and the spirit is not the father. Um, They are distinct. And so what it looks like to be unified yet, um, diverse is a, a picture that we, I guess, wanted to represent for our podcast. And we sort of get that idea from John 17, where Jesus prays that we would be like him. Um, another one, this is a little bit longer, and I, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll, I'll skip, skip around a little bit. Um, but in Romans 12, Paul has just said, you know, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the re- renewing of your mind. And he, in verse three of Romans 12, he says, for by the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let him use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He goes on to say, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, uh, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And that's almost like verses nine through 13 there, um, those from let love be genuine until where I stopped. Those are almost like the practical implications of like, you are one body, you are united. Mm-hmm. So like, do these things. These are markers of people who are unified. Their love is genuine. They hate what is evil and they hold fast to what is good. Um, and so for me personally here, um when i think about this idea of unity amongst diversity uh, i sort of think of my own i guess like theological sphere you know i think of um the broadly reformed movement um which you know w- would cling to uh, calvinism often holds to the five points of calvinism and it's it's ironic that the people who hold to such things which um are are very high and lofty and grand ideas in themselves uh you you'd think that we ourselves would be the most humble, the most unified, yet it often seems like we're the most arrogant and most divisive. Um and I don't know if that's just because we think that because we have these, you know, doctrines of grace or these um, you know, spiritual, scriptural realities revealed to us that like we're better than other people, or we have like knowledge that other people are lacking, or like, you know, those dang Arminians and like how could they think, you know, X, Y, and Z about whatever topic is on the table for discussion. Um, But it just seems like to me that there is so much division, you know, we divide ourselves, like, I'm, I'm a five point Calvinist versus I'm a four point Calvinist, I am an Arminian, I'm, you know, whatever. And and a lot of this kind of sounds like, um, you know, where Paul says, uh, I'm blanking on where it's from, but where he he's talking about, like, some of you are, uh, you know, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Jesus, you know, whatever, like, uh, we, the body since day one has, has had these divisions. And, you know, you mentioned that passage from, um, Corinthians where there's no, you know, no, no Jew nor Greek, um, slave nor free man nor woman. Um, and so all throughout early church history up until now, we've had this problem of still wanting to divide rather than to be unified. And so I think some just like practical ways to, to think about this and to, think about our unity is to think about the things that like ground us together as believers like what are those things that we can come around and be like this is what uh, we have in common because there's going to be the reality that there are things that are different I mean that's one of the beautiful things about like the New Testament and the gospel I guess is that we don't always have um, a prescription necessarily for this is exactly how a worship service needs to look. You know, this is what your building needs to look like. This is the type of song you need to sing. This is the order you're supposed to do your service in. Like those are things that have sort of developed, like the liturgies of the church have grown and developed from scriptural standards, but not like this is what scripture is telling us we have to do. Um, So there are just going to be differences. And I think that's one of the, the first things that we need to recognize is even though we are unified, we don't have to see our, Differences as things that need to cause division. We don't need to be like, okay, here are um, you know those who want to worship on Saturday because we think the saturday that's the Sabbath is on Saturday, and here are those who worship on Sunday because they want to you know worship on Sunday. Like we don't have to make those divisions and um, you know hold it against the other people for being less holy than than we are because we get it rightly. And I think that's sort of like the attitude that many of us carry. That's sort of the the default that like, you know, what we've come to embrace is the right way. And anybody who's do- not doing it our way is doing it wrong. Um, and that's just not healthy. So when, when I, when I mentioned, you know, what are things that we can uh, rally around, be unified by, I mean, we're talking about like do- the dogma of the faith, like some of those things that we have to be um, dogmatic about, like, for example, if we're going to talk about Christianity being unified as the body, I mean, we sort of have to but like, hold to God um, becoming a man in Jesus Christ. We have to like hold to the incarnation. We have to hold to the resurrection, um, you know, God being triune and, and things like that. Like there are just certain things about our faith, certain um, doctrines that are key and cannot be missing. Whereas on the other hand, like, you know, as we sort of mentioned in a previous episode, like the sacraments, like those are also things that we need to cling to. Um, but the way that we observe them is different. You know, some churches observe the Lord's supper every single week. Some do it once a month. Um, you know, technically we can't be dogmatic about it because there is no command that we observe it every single week. I mean that, you know, you can make inferences, but there is no, uh, command, you know, it says in acts that they devoted themselves to when they gathered, um, to praying, breaking of the bread, um, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I guess that's that's sort of one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that there are those dogmas that, like, are, you know, you can't really do away with those, um, but there are those other things where you can recognize that, like, yeah, that's one way that we can interpret that, that's one way that we can express that, that's one way that we can live that out without it breaking our fellowship. And and a- another thought that I have is even in the New Testament, I mean, Paul, um, writes to churches constantly, I mean that's what all the letters are, and it's it's actually kind of ironic. Someone made the point, you know how, like, this is a sidebar, I apologize, but you know how, like, right now during COVID-19, like, a lot, everybody's doing, um, like, online church services and everything? Um, someone had a tweet earlier this week that said, Paul was doing remote pastoring before it was cool, because, like, Paul was writing letters, you know, quote-unquote, remotely from where he was to these people that were not gathered with him, so I don't know, I thought that was kind of funny, but... <laughs> But like I'm sure, Paul is writing sure
1: letters, it's the exact same thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is, yeah, for sure. Um, but yes, yeah, so like Paul is writing these letters to different churches that are spread out all throughout the world back then. You know, writing to people in Rome, Philippi, um, you know, Corinth. Doesn't matter. He's writing to these people that are obviously not gathering together every single week on the Lord's day to worship together. Yet there was still the reality that they were unified. And in some of his letters, he even like tells them like, if there are these people who cause divisions that cause dissensions, these people who are going after worldly gain, these people that are um, trying to mislead the flock, like have no association with them. So there is, there is a reality that once we stray too far from doctrine, that is sound doctrine, that is um, orthodox uh, that there is, a warrant in scripture to have division, to have nothing to do with those who are going to cause um, us to stumble to those who will cause us um, to be led astray. And so like, I think about in our 21st century culture, um, I think maybe some of those like false gospels that are, are touted on, you know, YouTube on TV, on social media. And namely I think of like the prosperity gospel, for example. So like, as, as Orthodox believers, I think it's safe to say that we cannot be people who endorse, condone, celebrate, or hold to anything relating to the prosperity gospel. Even if someone like Joel Osteen can get up on a stage and hold a Bible in his hand um, and say words from it, it does not mean that he is Orthodox. It does not mean that he is teaching sound doctrine. And in fact, I mean, I think he's leading many astray. And so, like, that is an example of, like, just because we both might call ourselves Christians, we do not have the same ideology, the same doctrine, the same Lord even, because his gospel is is different, and so I think um, bearing in mind this whole idea of unity amongst diversity is that there is something to our unity, it's not groundless, it's not baseless, so like that, whatever that unity is, that that faith, and kind of like you mentioned it with the creeds, um, the things that, like, if you can confess the Apostles' Creed, if you can confess the Nicene Creed and, um, uh, you know, hold to those things, those are almost sort of like those core doctrines, those core dogmas of the faith that cannot be done away with. And so, um, I don't know, do you have anything you wanted to I- interject there?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I th- you, you touched on a couple of thoughts I was having, um, but I, as you were talking, I wanted to, to sort of pose a, a, you know, impromptu question and put you All on right. the spot a little bit. But, like, you're talking about the dogmas, the the non-negotiables, you know, the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Resurrection. Um, there's more, but those are, you know, some big ones. The big ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how those things are and need to be non-negotiable. Um, and we're talking about being unified. And then, you know... Bringing up passages like when Paul talks about um, handing people over to Satan for them to, you know, be taught not to blaspheme for for them to repent of their, you know, sin that they're refusing to turn away from. Um, clearly, like you you just were saying, there there's a there's a point where unity is no longer possible. There are right. there are groups or individuals where either forever or for a time it's not possible it's not right to be unified with them and and we just got done saying that we're all unified and we need to be unified so my question to you is like what are some thoughts you have around how do we how do we process that how do we handle that tension between the church being one holy catholic and apostolic and then recognizing that sometimes we need to split Sometimes we need to divide, um, even as Jesus prays for us to be unified. What is sort of that line? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think there isn't necessarily an easy answer all the time. And I know I alluded earlier to denominations sometimes um, being a very clear example of division um, because almost always those denominations grew out of that same, like basically what you're asking. Like Mm -hmm. it it grew out of that. We're wanting to have unity, but there is this pressing issue that is causing us to need to separate. I mean, so like, you know, the Baptists that we have today, for example, um, grew out of a thought that like, we're not going to baptize infants, but baptism is like a believer's baptism. It's for those who have made a profession of faith in Christ. Um, And they held to it so strongly that, you know, they branched off from those whom they were unified with otherwise and mm-hmm. have now become their own uh, thing today. And so it is a really hard, I guess, question to answer because uh, I don't think it's always the same in every scenario. And I know like from personal experience, um, in order to remain unified and not cause division, like there have been times where I've had to step away from something or times where I've had to, um, leave a job, for example. Um, and so I think if we're talking about a church, like a local church body as a whole, it's going to look different from like an individual. So for an example, if you're an, if you're an individual or like a family who's at a church, like a local congregation, and you know, maybe the, maybe the theology of the church has been veering in a direction that you don't think is good, that you don't think is healthy. Um, I think, it's up to you and your spouse or you if it's just you to sort of first of all know why you believe what you believe to to know what that is like to see to be able to like I guess identify what is now causing a little bit of division and show why you don't maybe agree with that division and then to make known to those in leadership like I see this as a problem is this something you're intentionally doing is this something that you even recognize is this something that we have to uh, I guess divide over because we don't agree, and I, I mean that's something that like I've experienced so many times. Like you know, growing up at a church, uh, we left over um, you know some problems in, in leadership and some direction and some. Um, I don't know. I don't want to like get too deep into those things, but like that's right, right, that's yeah. that's a reality that people um, deal with. That when a church starts to go a certain way, you just on one hand you don't want to compromise your convictions you don't want to compromise your beliefs um and so there's a reality that at a certain point um you know when you've done it properly when you've done it like don't don't start a bunch of fires on your way out don't be like you know bashing the leadership don't be like oh man, i can't believe that what these people are doing they're going to take all you to hell and then like you just sort of leave um but still recognizing that they're believers too i mean hopefully and that um even though we might disagree we're still going to see each other one day in glory. Um, and so, I, it's like I said, it, it's hard to answer that question because it really depends on the situation that you find yourself in. Um, but definitely don't make rash decisions. Don't just like decide I'm done in an instant and then not tell anybody or not give any reason. Um, because I think that's another problem that we have in our in our modern churches today. There's this tendency like over the silliest things like, oh, I didn't. I didn't like how worship was done this morning. Like, so one one example that comes to mind, it's actually a pretty hilarious one. So when I was, when I, when we were in college at Moody, I worked at Park Community Church as an operations assistant. I was basically in charge of like setting down or setting up and tearing down services, you know, um, taking out the garbage, fixing lights, doing maintenance, all that. And so there's this one particular Sunday, um, where i'm downstairs in our little like cafe area and uh, i was helping i had just helped finish uh prepping communion um and uh, i hear oh man you know the song lord of all creation mm-hmm. of water earth and sky <laughs> so like they were playing this right but they were playing this really groovy like rockin' version of it it wasn't like your classic 1990s mm-hmm. church version And so a little bit later, one of my duties too was to help. um, So there were the ushers who would collect communion Mm -hmm. and then I would be with our counters and um, we would gather it all into like these locked bags and then take them to the room where they would count it. And so when the counters were done, they came back downstairs to me and they hand me this note that was written on like one of the connect cards And it said, that first song sounded like ACDC, worst church music I've ever heard. Uh, It's like, not good for me or my family. We will not be back. Or something like that. Like, I have no idea who wrote it. I have no idea, like, the context of, like, was this their first time? Have they been here for years? And, like, this song just, like, triggered in them, like, this isn't good for us. We're never going to come back. Um, It's just, like, one of those really funny things. And that's, like, a humorous example of Mm -hmm. people who will make those decisions on, like, Man, I don't like that the podium is clear. I'd rather see like a black metal podium up on stage. Like stuff like that has been said, right? Um, and like so, those are obviously really silly reasons to to break, you know, from a church to leave a congregation. Um, but on the other side of things, there are really real reasons to want to leave, and there are real things that you know maybe it's for your own spiritual health. Like if you if you feel as though being here. Uh, maybe affects your spouse or you and your own spiritual growth. Like maybe it's time to step away. But um, one of the things that you should always do is talk to other people about it. Like, so have other believers who can maybe like, not just speak into your situation, but maybe other people are recognizing that too. Mm. Um, And and like I mentioned earlier, maybe your pastor is unaware um, of some of the ways in which, you know, liturgy, is not going the way that it should or preaching has been a little bit off like maybe something's going on in his life that um, needs to be addressed too like there's just like so many different scenarios and it's it, it like using good sound judgment um, going to other people um, and, and especially if you are going to make that that transition out of a church like tell the leadership of the church that you are currently attending like just even if it's as simple as like leaving them a letter but like you know, try to meet with them face to face and let them know, Hey, you know, we've loved our time here. Uh, we've, you know, grown so much, but like here is, are the reasons or reason why we are leaving. Um, cause I think it's important. Cause like, again, I've worked at churches. I know what it's like to like, all of a sudden a family is gone. You have no reason why, or like you don't know what's going on. And then you hear like they're at another church on the other side of town that is, you know, more contemporary and they have a better style of music and the preaching is better or whatever. And like to have not been told, it can it can be painful, it can be discouraging, it can be hard. So I don't know if that even answers yeah. your question. Uh, I don't know that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like you you said, like it's not an easy question to answer. Um, clearly, you know we're both heirs of the Reformation, so we would say that there is a time to divide. <laughs> um, right. But like you're saying, there, there, there. <laughs> That's an,
0: yeah. I guess a really good
1: example. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a time, or or I should say, there are times and scenarios for individuals to leave local churches for a local congregation to leave a denomination or for something even bigger like you know on this the scale of the Reformation but but like you're saying speaking like, of
0: that speaking of that though you have to be careful to not be like Luther just because he said that my conscience is held captive to the Word of God you can't just use that anytime
1: you want to use it to win a theological argument because <laughs> and know. let's also keep in mind that Luther was, a Roman Catholic priest and monk who had no intention of leaving the right. He was trying church. to reform, not you know, <laughs> um, protest and disband. And, and and that's like you know, that's a kind of a subtle point, but like it's really important. You know, he didn't. You, you think about you know, Lu, you think about the Reformation. <laughs> you think about the pro, the problems that people like Luther saw in the church. You you would think of, of all people, you know. Martin Luther's going to want to leave the church, but that never crossed his mind. That that was right. something that was sort of forced on him. Um but what did he do? Did he like turn around and say, "Oh, it's not worth it Did I have to leave the church?" No. <laughs> um and I think that that is a good uh, you know, an extraordinary man in an extraordinary time, but right there there's there's a lesson we, there of there is a I mean, time we forget, I think
0: Right, I think we, just real quick, I think we forget that, like, his 95 theses weren't, these are 95 reasons I'm leaving your church. Right. (laughs) But it was more or less, like, these are things that I think, like, if we want to be biblical, we need to reform and and change about what we're doing currently. Yeah. Whereas, I think a lot of Protestants today, they see him as, like, I'm going to hammer up all these reasons (laughs) why I'm leaving and why you're awful and why you're the Antichrist or something.
1: And also, a total sidebar, uh, if you ever read, I don't know if you've ever read through the 95 theses there, he is super catholic (laughs) right and i don't know if you've ever read his um he has there's a couple documents i've read um one was a treatment on baptism and one was a treatment on communion and um i was reading his thing about baptism and i was like holy goodness this this man's a roman catholic like the (laughs) and that's a whole nother thing we maybe get into some other time but it's just kind of funny the way that uh history like (laughs) it's (laughs) we can forget you know or easily be misled over you know and gloss over certain details such as martin luther one day woke up and wanted to start a new church and that's why we have lutherans but no uh no he wanted to address problems in his family his church family and um you know providentially in history what ended up happening was something much more dramatic but the point is too that you know that i wanted to bring up to sort of just you know i don't I don't have any disagreements with anything you said about, you know, when do we leave or not leave or, or divide or separate or not. Um, but just like, it's not something to be done lightly or to be done right. flippantly, like you're saying. And let's keep in mind, you know, in Corinthians, when Paul talks about, you know, not associating with people and casting people out of the church, he's talking about believers who are in unrepentant sin. Like, he's not talking about people we disagree with. He's not even talking about non-believers who are in unrepentant sin. He's talking about, this is like an in-house discussion. And this guy is, you know, sleeping with his mother-in-law or whatever. Um, He, or I forget what it was. (laughs) You know know who I'm talking about. No, that's like, yeah, 1 Corinthians 7, yeah. (laughs) Um, And the church isn't doing anything about it. And that, and that's when it's time to divide. You know, Martin Luther, you know, by the grace of God, realizes that there are teachings and practices going on in the church that are obscuring the gospel. He has to do something about it. And it eventually led to, to splitting um, or, or, you know, a new church forming or whatever. Um, and these are both, you know, specific examples. But what we can learn that I think is really important is that, like, this isn't, this isn't a first, you know, my first response is to leave or my first response is to start a new denomination or right. find a new... Or even there's
0: like a new church down the road. Exactly. Like, I don't like how we're doing it. Let's go down the road and
1: start a new one. Right. It's a big deal. And, the, you know, I, I, you know I, I should have thought about how good an example Martin Luther is. The 95 Theses were, that was an invitation to a public academic debate over theological issues. So he's not sitting in his study making decisions on his own about what he's going to do to change things. He sees problems. He wants these problems to be, uh, uh, you know, addressed and fixed, um, because of the way that they negatively impact the church and God's people. And so he starts a conversation. Um, and it's the same, it's the same kind of thing that we need to be thinking about is the situations that call for churches, splitting denominations, separating, um, you know, uh, this is a very big deal within the Anglican world today. We've got GAFCON and the Global South Anglican Movement basically pushing back against unorthodox trends in the Anglican communion worldwide, and we've got new church bodies like the one that I am associated with. The Anglican Church in North America is a split from the Episcopal Church in the United States, and it's a split over unorthodox uh even heretical practices and teachings over um, a variety of things. And it's not a light, it's not a small thing that, right. you know, a new church body formed. It's not a small thing that Paul is handing people over to Satan, <laughs> which just sounds <laughs> way more intense. <laughs> um, it's not a small right. thing that uh, that the Reformation happened or the, uh, you know, uh, you know, soapbox moment, The the Reformation's, It's not a monolithic, unified uh, historical phenomenon, but that's maybe something else. Um, But so, yeah, I I wanted to just kind of pose that question because there is so much division. um, And as we're talking about unity, I don't want to make it sound like we're saying, you know, external unity is always 100 percent the number one priority without deprioritizing the unity of Christ's body, we need to recognize that in this fallen world, amongst our diversity, there are also serious issues that need to be taken into account. Um, so that's kind of just, you know, why I had that, that question pop into, into mind. And I think that that's really helpful just to, to think about those people who don't like a song. And maybe they have good reason not to like that song, but to just write it down on an anonymous card and then leave it's sad It's so silly, <laughs> right and like that's
0: that's another good example too like you know there there have been times where you know there's a song called reckless love oh, um, boy. that was popular a couple of years ago that caused quite a bit of a stir um and let me tell you i had all my reasons why i thought we shouldn't be singing it and i I, mean, I still hold to those but like that is not something that you'd want to necessarily break fellowship over just because they sang this song um that's not a real good reason right um so yeah, there's both big and small that comes up, but not everything's a reason to split. And I think maybe just as a way of, of closing this out, I mean, you, you read um, first Corinthians 12, where it's, you know, talking about spiritual gifts and being unified. Um, You know, he uses that imagery of literally a body, like, think of your human physical body, you have many members, but you're one, like, you're not you're not all a bunch of eyes, you're not all a bunch of hands, but you're all unique. You have different purposes, different functions, you do different things, but you are unified. And so I think that's sort of like the the image that we wanna leave you with, is that, that picture of not just the body of Christ, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, but like, think of your own body, the many members that it contains and the unification that it has. Though many members, all one. Um, and so, you know, Lucas and I, though you might be, um, you know, more Anglican, and I more reformed in our theology. um, We can still be unified. We can still be brothers. We can celebrate the things that we have in common and have fun talking about the things that, you know, we divide on. But it doesn't mean that we, um, you know, break fellowship or anything like that. So, I mean, do you want to close us out with one of your Book of Common Prayer prayers? Yep,
1: yep. Um, I'm going to be reading a, 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 a canticle, or canticle. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> um, it's a, a song for use during during a prayer service, and it comes from Isaiah 55. Um, so let's pray. Seek the Lord while he wills to be found. Call upon him when he draws near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the evil ones their thoughts. And let them turn to the Lord, and he will have compassion. And to our God, for he will richly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as rain and snow fall from the heavens and return not again, but water the earth, bringing forth life and giving growth, seed for sowing and bread for eating, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I have purposed and prosper in that for which I sent it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast, or email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any feedback, questions, episode ideas, critiques, uh, Funny uh, church stories about people not liking the color of the carpet or the song choice. <laughs> uh, anything that you you know want to share with us, please do. We'd love to hear from you. Um, hope you are staying safe and healthy. If you're listening as this is coming out um, in the midst of this crisis, and uh, well, either and if way, if it's three
0: years from right now, if it's three years from right now, keep washing your hands. Don't stop because there's no coronavirus. Keep yeah, washing your hands. Please.
1: Yeah, that's good. I take back the if you're listening.